on podcast. I'm Lauren Delcello. I am the managing editor for Water Quality Products. And in this special episode, we are continuing our series throughout the month of October on the value of water in conjunction with the Value of Water campaign, which is a U.S. Water Alliance campaign, as well as Imagine Today Without Water, which is October 21st. This series focuses on sharing diverse voices and perspectives on solving water access, equity, and affordability issues. Starting with the role of One Water before digging into the utility perspective, a community group perspective, and finally, a perspective from the ground floor on water access. So this is the last episode in the series today covering water access. I'm very pleased to introduce you to Carmen George. She is the research and MEQ manager for the Community Outreach and Patient Empowerment Program, also known as COPE. I spoke with Carmen about the program's work to improve and address water access issues in the Navajo Nation and the role of both education and One Water in creating sustainable long-term change. So let's move to that interview now. Thank you. And welcome to Talking Underwater. I am here today with Carmen George. She is the Research and MEQ Manager for the Community Outreach and Patient Empowerment Program, also known as COPE. Uh, Carmen's kindly joining me today as a part of our special October series on the value of water. Carmen, thank you for your time today. I appreciate it and it's lovely to meet you. It's nice to meet you as well and great to be on the podcast. Yeah, absolute pleasure. So this program that you work on, it's a partnership with the Navajo Nation Community Health Representative Outreach Program to improve the lives of those living with chronic diseases in Navajo. And the program has also been significantly involved in water access issues in the community, especially in light of current circumstances, my understanding. So I'm excited to dig into these topics with you. As I mentioned to you earlier, uh, I have a lot to learn. So I'm obviously willing to bet that our listeners do too. So appreciate your time. First and foremost, let's just start a little like broad overarching for listeners who may be unfamiliar. Can you tell me a little bit about COPE, what you do and what drives your work there? Sure. So COPE, um, like you said, stands for Community Outreach and Patient Empowerment. It's a sister organization to Partners in Health and we are also a research partner with the Brigham and Women's Hospital. Um, so COPE is a nonprofit, native-led, community-based organization. It was established in 2009, and we became a 501c3 in 2014. So a lot of what um, COPE does, we try to align our strategic goals with current Navajo Nation leadership and partners. So we'll have continuous meetings with leaders and we work closely with the community health representatives on Navajo Nation. That's where we started working um, as far as the previous work and continued work. Um, COPE, we're supported by research grants, foundation grants and private donors. Um, so that's just a little bit about COPE and what we do. Like I said, we try to work um, with different programming. 
some of the, our programs include the fruit and vegetable prescription program. We have Healthy Navajo Stores Initiative. We have a cancer survivorship program. Mm. We're working with the community health representatives to get them all um, certified in CHW work. And we also work closely with Medic um, Community Partnership for Health Equity. Um, we do a lot of trainings on the Navajo Nation um, and youth programming. So one of the um, the more recent work that we've started doing is through uh, what we call the Water First work. And so that's how we were connected with the um, U.S. Water Alliance and Dig Deep. So that's kind of a little bit about the work that we do and um, the different programming that we do. That is a lot. Um, and I'm definitely hearing that first and foremost, you're community driven. Um, my next question is a little more personal, if you're comfortable with it, is um, how did you personally become involved with COPE and, and this mission? Yeah, definitely. Um, my background, I always wanted to work on the Navajo Nation because that's my tribe and that's who the community that I wanted to work with. And so for 10 years, I work with research projects. Um, the first one was with the University of Utah. We work on a Navajo Earth study um, going all over the reservation. And then um, the second project I worked on was with the um, University of Colorado Denver, an oral health Mm. preschool project and so because I wanted to stay um, on the Navajo Nation I was just kind of looking for opportunities where there were work with community driven organizations and um, so I found COPE that way through um, a job bulletin and then just kind of learn more about them so one of the interesting things I guess is that I don't live, COPE is based in Gallup, New Mexico, but I'm actually from Baclavato, New Mexico, which is the Four Corners area. Mm -hmm. So it's about 100 miles from, from the main office. So um, just kind of been working a lot in the field. And so um, my commute is like 100 miles when on a normal day, one way. <laughs> <laughs> but it's worth it. I get to work within wow. my community and, you know, I really love that we get to really work full-time from home now. <laughs> so it's been kind of nice. Um, but yeah, just kind of used to that, used to driving um, long distances, not only for work, but, you know, to get groceries um, from my house to go to a main grocery store is about probably about 30 minutes or 25 miles away. And so just kind of getting used to um, the travel. That's a lot of dedication. And I definitely hear your passion seeping through for sure. But um, yeah, on the work from home front, <laughs> I hear you. That's a long commute. So let's talk water a little bit. Um, I know you work with the U.S. Water Alliance uh, and October 21st is Imagine a Day Without Water coordinated by the Value of Water campaign that I know you've contributed with. So on that subject, what are some barriers to access to water and also very specifically clean water, clean drinking water? Yes, definitely. So 
Cope, we first started working in the water world. I mean, we've done a lot of food access work. And so just realizing that we're promoting fruits, vegetables, um, traditional food, but the other component is water as well. And so what we did was we were part of the No Tipigay, the third foundation. It was called the Water First Learning Community Grant. And for four years, it was a learning opportunity for not only COPE, but for other um, parts of New Mexico with other tribes, just learning how to promote water. So um, during um, our, we do um, store assessments. And so one of our um, data collectors was noticing that sometimes parents are buying like energy drinks for young kids, mainly soda. And so that really um, affected her because she thought, why don't we try to promote water? And of course, um, with that grant, it was a good opportunity to kind of look at how we would do that. And so we did it through a couple of things, a couple of ways. We, we thought about um, advertisements. You know, a lot of um, sugary drink advertisements are geared toward the young children. And so what we wanted to do was we wanted to promote local heroes in the community. And so we came up with um, local hero posters. And so we would put those in the stores. Um, we would um, do infused water posters, giving people ideas on how to promote their water. We would do recipe cards, demonstrations. So um, just a way to promote it. But we also learn through doing surveys and talking with parents that a lot of families don't feel that their water is safe to drink, even though it comes out of the tap. And so that was one big um, issue that we came across. Um, so there are a lot of families that first, they don't have running water. And if they do, they don't trust what's coming out of the tap. And so that was um, how we identified some issues with the water. And um, so we worked with some of the communities and kind of helped them to, um, I guess, just um, promote water that they feel is safe to drink. And that's how we kind of started working with the Dig Deep program. Mm -hmm. yeah. And whenever we did focus groups with um, some community members. And even from that, just learning, um, where families get their water, I think was very um, eye-opening for me because um, a lot of families that don't have running water, um, we learned that a lot of those families, they get their water from livestock wells. And um, wow, I think it was the Navajo in US EPA that did a study that showed a lot of those um, livestock wells were unfit for human consumption. Wow. They had a lot of like arsenic in there, um, uranium. And so that was very alarming for me. Um, but at the same time, you have to think too of the traditional aspects of water and respect what people 
believe and think. And so I remember during one of the interviews, one person was saying, the water is making me sick. The water is doing this to me. But a very traditional woman scolded her and told her, you're not supposed to speak bad about water. And um, so that was kind of the bottom line. And right. just, you're supposed to have respect and speak positive to water. Because water so, is so special and, you know, part of our earth. Yeah, is that definitely. correct? Yeah. Okay. Water is a living, um, yeah. living thing. So it can hear you. And so that's one thing that was very um, interesting to me. And that's kind of how we also, through our surveys, a lot of people too are hungry for um, traditional knowledge. And so we wanted to also speak to some traditional knowledge holders. And so um, one person um, that we was our consultant, her name is Louise Spinali. She went out and she interviewed, I think it was like 10 traditional knowledge holders and um, just kind of asked them about water. And so, so that was really interesting to learn about. And so, you know, you get the different aspects of water and how to treat it. Um, so, um, so now we're in this place where we're trying to still meet the needs of those who don't have access. And so we're trying to work with um, our partners, try to find places where um, families can get water. And there are, during this um, pandemic, there yeah. has been some water work. And so, but for us, we're always wanting to go back to the community and ask, you know, where we should set up any sites or how we should continue to work um, with the community. Wow, yeah. So I definitely want to circle back to that community uh, element in a little bit because I know that's just a huge part of your work and you just stress that a lot. But there's so much to unpack in everything you just said to me. Like, I just feel very eye-open. First of all, when I think about barriers to access myself, initially my first thought is um, that distance factor, uh, not having enough connections or safe hookups to water access. Um, but you also brought in the element of uh, the uh, having energy, energy drinks or sodas playing a role in water preferences and also that element that really shocked me about livestock wells because I know that there are some areas in the south where uranium and arsenic are quite high and need to be treated to be drinkable but that's that's pretty shocking to me uh, so it just shows me as someone learning from you and your experiences that there are so many different facets to consider when you consider barriers to access and that really complicates your job I'm assuming. <laughs> Um, so I do want to circle back to that community engagement element a little bit because it's kind of been like a thread throughout everything you've been saying thus far. Um, how does education play a really vital role in long-term change for water use and access? You spoke a little bit about working with the community and uh, working with community el elders as well. Can you touch on that a little more, please? Yeah, definitely. I think... Um... For us, when we work with the No Tipi Gay, the third foundation with that grant, it was focused 
from zero to eight, but we also know that grandparents play a huge role in the caregiving. And so we also wanted to also reach out to them as well. And so I think um, education was really important because we work with um, several schools. Um, we would try different curriculum or ways to reach um, the children. And so we would just have a lot of hands-on activities. Um, we would, like I said, just really show them that it's okay um, for them to have a local hero in their community. And a lot of them, the heroes that we chose, um, they knew them. And so that was really neat of them to say, oh yeah, that's so-and-so. And yeah. so um, just really identified with the local heroes. And then uh, we would do um, like water challenges to see if they could just drink water only. Um, and so that's kind of what we did and where they would not drink um, soda or Kool-Aid or iced tea. And so um, we worked with them on that and they, we made it into a competition between classrooms and the winning class would get a pizza party. <laughs> so we would do, try to do little things like that and try to really promote water. Sometimes we would do setups at the store as well to try to reach the communities. Um, we had beverage kits and we still have some that we're giving out to the community. Um, of course, back when it was safe to do this, right. we, uh, we would give out these kits where um, we, they would make um, fruit infused water for the community, whether it be at, you know, walking events, um, parties, in the office. So that really helped too. And I think a lot of people, the education piece, they didn't realize how much sugar they were um, ingesting. And if you put it to where you drink one 12 ounce soda a day, and then how many pounds that equals in a year. And oh, I yeah. Just having that um, um, was very eye-opening to a lot of families. And then um, figuring out the amount of sugar grams um, for the older kids. And then we would try to go like to the preschools and we would ask them what their favorite drink was. And so of course kids, they're really honest with you what their favorite <laughs> sure. drinks are. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, it was really fun um, to work in the community. We did like bracelets to help them help remind them of drinking water. Um, infused water bottles kind of gave that out. But, um, but yeah, education, I believe is so important, but also um, making it into activity, I think is very important because a lot of the kids that we worked with, they're more, um, they're not really, um, they're more visual and they're more, um, they learned a lot more from the activities, I think. But. Yeah, well, one, 
who doesn't want a pizza party, right? <laughs> I drink my water for 30 days for that. <laughs> uh, two, I think the community heroes element is really cool. And three, I'm also definitely hearing you say that uh, a big part of the work is working to start the conversation early and keep that momentum going. So uh, I know we're getting close on time here. I do have just two more questions for you. Um, I wanted to ask you what your water outreach efforts look like now in this sort of changing funky COVID pandemic world we have going on. What's that look like? Yeah, we're really excited because um, with that No To Be Gay um, Foundation grant, we were able to get kind of a package of what we call our intervention piece. And so right now we're going to put it up to the test. And so we have another grant through the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation. And so we'll be working um, on that is kind of in the early stages we're getting the approvals but of course not knowing um, how school's gonna look in the next year that kind of um, right kind of wary because we wanted what we wanted to do was target early childhood education sites and we still will so this um, this year we know a lot of those early childhood education sites are doing virtual learning and so we're going to probably test out some activities that they can do at home and we're really excited because we partnered with Nalgene and so um, they were able to give us some funding to put up some water stations and so we're working with some of our partners we're going to start that to put up some places where people can um, get water from maybe their local store or their local school. Of course, when it's safe, but right now we're yeah. just gonna work on the installation. And so I think there's still a lot for us to learn and a lot for us to promote. We, we only touched maybe um, a small community um, of Navajo Nation, we probably reach maybe, I would say, five chapters, and there's um, 110 chapters on Navajo. So we have a long way to go, but we're pretty excited about our next steps and our continued water work. And hopefully, we can also support other organizations that yeah. are out there doing. Um, access to work as well. So we want to continue to build those um, relationships and partnerships as well and see how we can support um, others that are doing work during this time. Well, it sounds like you're up to the challenge. Sounds like you're keeping busy and also sounds like partnerships have really always been a very driving factor of your work. So it's cool to hear about you wanting to get more involved with that as an organization. Um, this next question I'm hoping you can speak to and um, based off of like all the different facets we've covered so far, I think so, but it's, do you see one, the one water approach as a sustainable long-term method to meet access and education obstacles? And if so, maybe how have you seen some of that play out a little bit thus far? Yeah, definitely. I think One Water, um, because it is a movement and it's mainly focused on people, ideas, and action, um, and it's kind of giving everyone an opportunity that works in the water world 
to have that leadership in space, I think that's really important um, because I think one thing that I've seen that was really strong through that was the people that manage the, um, the water treatment plants coming together and learning, um, I guess, given the opportunity to learn about maybe on the community level and getting right. some information out there. I think it's really good. And I think um, if they continue the approach and if we're part of that, I think it definitely will be sustainable. And um, I think, um, definitely coming up with different education and different activities and then people can just tailor to their own culture in their own um, location I think I think it will I think it, it is sustainable and it's a great movement you sound hopeful and I think <laughs> maybe it comes back a little bit to what you were saying way earlier in our conversation about the sacredness of water and the connectiveness of it um, so important key takeaway here, how can listeners continue these vital conversations we're having right now and engage? I think definitely, um, you know, there's always a lot to do to respect water, um, look at water rights, look at how we're treating the water. Um, I think that's really important, but to learn more about water um, work that's done on the Navajo Nation. I think there's a lot. I know when we were trying to put together like a PowerPoint about water for just Navajo, you know, that's just a little piece of the U.S. Right. It ended up being so many slides and you can go so many ways with water. And so I think it's important to always focus your work and kind of just know what it is you want the outcome to be, what it is you're trying to work towards. And um, because with water, it's a lot of information and a lot of different ways you can go. But if you have the outcome in mind, like for us, it's promoting um, water for kids. So having them drink water early because we learn from the um, Notipike, the third grant that, you know, one in four kids will develop diabetes. You know, it's not if, but it's when. And so just for them to make healthier choices now will prolong that diagnosis. And so just kind of thinking about that outcome and then now just telling kids, okay, choose water, this is why and so just giving them that education and information and having them be the change for their own health in the future. Yeah. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining me on the call today, Carmen. Really great to meet you and I appreciate your insight and perspective. Thank you. For the interview, Carmen, it was an absolute pleasure and honor to learn from you. Your work covers so much ground and it is so inspiring to hear your passion there. I hope the audience learned a lot as well. Now on to just brief housekeeping before we wrap up this episode. If you liked what you heard, don't forget to like, subscribe, share 
on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Spotify, and pretty much anywhere you can hear podcasts from. You can reach the Talking Underwater hosts at talkingunderwater at sgcmail.com to share your thoughts. We always love to hear from listeners. And don't forget to follow us on Twitter at TUW Podcast. Thanks so much for listening.